Welcome to More to Come, PW Comics World's weekly podcast of comics and graphic novel news. And I am Heidi McDonald. I am the co-editor of PW Comics World, the newsletter. I'm also the graphic novels review editor for Publishers Weekly and the editor-in-chief of The Beat at compassbeat.com. Check us out on Twitter at PW Comics World, on Facebook at PW Comics World. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can also find us on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And we are recording live from PW's New York City offices. And today it's just me and Kate. Calvin is on vacation, a well-deserved vacation. And, uh, you know, so once a year you get these uh, vacation musing shows. I, I guess, Kate, you know, it's August. There's not a whole hell of a lot going on. No, but it makes it a good time to reflect back on the state of the industry and how things have been going for the different well, comic companies this summer. Yes. Or, you know, looking forward a little bit, I guess, you know, summer, summer dreams. Just, uh, you know, I think we're, we're having, I think I'm, I'm not sure if I mentioned this in our last time we sat down as a group podcast, but I do sense a little disturbance in the forest. I think that things are plateauing a bit, maybe. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, this, uh, granted, August is a very slow month, but the solicitations mm. came out this week, and there wasn't that much news, although, although there was a little bit from Marvel, correct? Yeah, um, it's, it's the first rumblings of something that may, in fact, be huge. Um, if you specifically look at Spider-Man, that is to say, Peter Parker Spider-Man, and, um, the members of what is formerly known as the Fantastic Four, uh, it looks like the Fantastic Four will be splitting up. Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. Fantastic is nowhere to be seen. Mm-hmm. And Peter Parker is apparently the head of some business that's successful enough to work in the Baxter building. Was this, is this their, this is their one year later stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it may not just, they may actually do some edgy things with their one year later esque mm-hmm. thing. Um, so it, it may in fact be a big, shake up in the Marvel universe coming on down the road once these solicits actually hit the stores. Right, right. Well, uh, yeah, this uh, the solicitations came out. So, uh and I they came out on, on I was on vacation, so I haven't actually had a chance to go over them and you know, once again it didn't uh I don't know. I think everybody is on vacation this week. So, you know, but Marvel has to shake things up a little bit. Uh, they have so many variant covers. You know, they've been walloping DC in the sales charts. Uh, but they have so many variant covers and, uh, you know, they're per, like Star Wars. If you took away Star Wars, their numbers would not be as strong as they are mm. right now. And, you know, they have such things that launched, they had such huge launches as, um, you know, Spider Woman, Spider Gwen, uh, you know, um, what's the other one? The veil, the, what's, <laughs> the web, the moth, whatever. You know, they have, yeah. yeah, these, these, uh, lady spiders that came out and did really well, but they're fading a, a little bit. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure Marvel is as, uh, vibrant. Yeah. As well, they I'm, were. I'm sure they will. You know, people are going to love it to say that there's a new Peter Parker, or there's a new Fantastic Four, you know, all of this stuff. I mean, people always love arguing about all that, but, uh, you know, at the very least, it'll be good for press coverage. Exactly. But, you know, it doesn't always work. Uh, you know, what's going on with at DC? I mean, their sales have definitely been slumping quite a bit now. Well, I don't think it's helped by the fact that instead of, you know, Batman, Batman, as we know Batman, they've got, um, spoiler alert listeners, Commissioner Gordon in what is supposedly a robo-bat suit, but looks a hell of a lot like Appleseed. 
I mean, I feel like it's missing something in the branding and people who are like, but where is my Batman? will probably not pick up that book so much. And Batman is a huge part of their numbers. Well, Batman and, is still their number one book, by far. Well, yeah. But I meant for everyone who's like, well, I'm still picking up Batman. Like, how many people are going to look at that and be like, but where's Batman? Well, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not sure that, that people are, are hating on that because it's got the same team. It's got the Snyder Capullo team. Mm. And, you know, they seem to have a lot of goodwill with the uh, with the audience. I think it's more in some other... Uh, some other areas just with kind of all the books that we lauded. You know, we got very excited when they announced that they were doing things like Prez or, um, well, you know, say- some of the really offbeat books <clears throat> that they were doing. And, you know, some of them seem to have some sort of maybe underground following, like Omega Men is a book I hear a lot of people talking about now, but, uh, but the sales are definitely not picking up yet. Yeah. Well, Offbeat may have a limited market, and if you're expecting them to do, you know, superhero numbers, you may find yourself losing that gamble right. occasionally. Um, and also, Prez, I have to say, you know, maybe, maybe it's just a slow start, but it can't. Offbeat is not enough; it has to be actually like good. And so far, I'm just I'm bouncing off of it. Mm-hmm. Right now, have you been reading Omega Man? Because I know that's I have the- not. Okay, so that's the one. They certainly have the most unusual covers. I was looking at them and I was like, "Is this really a DC comic?" <laughs> so, and you know, there's a lot of new sensibilities at DC. Yeah. Um, you know, something that's exciting that's coming for them is the big Vertigo relaunch this fall yeah. with their 12 new titles. And I mean, that's certainly going to be a big test of you know whether that brand can can uh, withstand life in the the 21st century. Yeah, and you know, it could just be that. A lot of the big punch they're saving up for, you know, fall and for New York Comic Con announcements and for uh, readers, like, I don't know, being indoors a bit more. <laughs> well, that, or not on vacation. Well, you know, that's definitely true. Though on vacation, you're supposed to take along a big book to read. So, um, yeah, but know. that's not the newest floppy. Yes, that's true. That's true. Although, you know, it's a very interesting thing that someone said on my, uh, the comments on the beat the other day, uh, when somebody, we were talking about, uh, there was a conversation about kids' comics. And, um, you know, I was talking about how there's a lot of, kids publishers now you know boom and idw and dark horse have all actually had pretty big success with their kids lines surprisingly uh, kids like comics. yes yes but this person of the comments pointed out that he had never seen a child carrying a floppy comic and uh, in recent years and i have to be honest i see kids reading comics all the time and they're always reading graphic novels i also have never seen a child go to barnes and noble and request an issue of adventure time well i can tell you about my comic my interaction with comic books as a little kid who loved comics Mm -hmm. i did not actually get them very often for this very reason and that my mother would take a look at floppy Mm -hmm. look take a look at the price of floppy even back then and look at me and say you read this in five minutes and not buy it. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and I think graphic novels, a parent looks at them. It feels like a book. They think, ah, maybe I'll get some value for the money and buys it. Right. Whereas right. a floppy, if you're not the person reading who like absolutely has to have the next installment, if you're just buying it for someone else, the economics of it may not make sense to you. You might think, uh, they won't be able to reread it. They'll rip it up. It'll be, you know, it's not right. value for money. I think parents 
don't buy floppies. Right. So did you not have any periodical? I, I you know, I, I get yelled at every time I say floppy, but yeah, you didn't have any pamphlets as a child. Um, well, what would happen is occasionally we go to this really old grocery store that still had a spinner rack. Mm. And if I had saved up enough money, then maybe I would buy a Harvey comic. A Harvey comic? Because, because that's what they had. Right. Now, Kate, I think of you as such a generation removed well, I was from like, myself. But, but but Harvey actually stuck around. I'm amazed that you are old enough to have seen Harvey. In, I mean, I was like eight. Okay. All right. Five to eight when they like closed down. I was like, but where'd they go? Um, And then I had no interaction with comics whatsoever except for the newspaper until I was a young teenager. Right. And right. then, you know, then I'd see. And then when I did... It was all the trades mm-hmm. because the trades were what you could see when you went to a bookstore and I had no access to anything else. Well, to be honest, I have never given a periodical comic aimed at children to a child. Uh, you know, kids in my family or friends who have kids, I always give them graphic novels and, uh, it's easier to get. It is. And it, it, again, it feels better. You know, my, I, I've mentioned this, uh, several times here, but, uh, I have some cousins who are, well, they're a little bit older, but the last time I stayed with them was about a year ago and they are, let me see. Eight years old. They were eight years old at that point. Big readers. Big. They were waiting for the new Dork Diaries to come out. Went mm-hmm. out and got it right away. Um, I was snooping through their library. A lot of comics in there. All of them graphic novels. There was not a periodical, a floppy to be seen. Nope. And, and um, you know, I think that's interesting. I wonder who is buying these uh, these Boom and IDW My Little Pony comics well, in uh, I Adventure Time. I have seen. I have seen when I go to the comic store, particularly a relatively kids-friendly one like Midtown, that if the parent's a comic reader and they bring the kid along, they park the kid in front of the kid floppy mm-hmm. shelf when they are buying comics for themselves, and then they buy the kid a couple floppies. Um, but I, I think that's it. I think it's adults who go to comic stores and have children. Interesting. Very interesting. Because otherwise, like... I'm, I'm just not ever seeing it otherwise. I mean, I see that when I'm in the comic store, but I don't see, like, the kid. And by kid, I mean non-teenager. You mm-hmm. see the teenagers coming in and get floppies right. all the time. You do, parents. okay. But um, you don't, because, you know, then it's the borderline stuff that's, like, often not officially a kid comic mm-hmm. and right, all this. Right, right, right. But you don't see, like, the kid leading the parent in and picking up floppies. Well, I, I, you see the parent leading the kid in and picking right. up floppies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, supply and desire. Uh, you know something? I think you nailed it in your very first comment. I think it's a value thing. Yeah. You know, and with the fr- price of floppies rising, I mean, you know, now, I mean, the $3 floppies is a thing of the past. Well, they've tried to keep children's comics at the $3 level, but um, almost all of them are $4. We're starting to see $5, although with added content, you know, more backups. But, uh, yeah, if I were a parent, I would not think, you know, for $5, I could buy this comic that looks, let's face it, a little flimsy by today's standards. Especially well, if it was a kid. Right, right. Not known for being careful with their reading matter. Right. Or I could spend $2 more and I could get something that looks more like a book. And yeah. that they might seem to be more durable. They have more durability. Yeah. And yeah, I think parents uh, probably are making a pretty simple decision there. Now, this is very interesting, though. I, I wonder, uh, you know, I, again, this was a big, there was a big um, 
thread on the beat. There was a post that mm-hmm. I wrote about, you know, I called them floppies and I got yelled at, but... Uh, I'm sorry, they're floppy. I buy them, they're floppy. Well, I know, but, you know, a lot of people think that's a very offensive word, but, but you know, I know, I know. Life is too short. But um, anyway, we tell Brian Hims, who I've been arguing with for 20 years, got in there and said, you know, Heidi, people have been calling for the death of the, the floppy for 20 years and it's still here. And I said, you know what, you are right. In fact, I, I one of the two things I wish I could go back in time for in comics is to go to the panel that I did about 10 years ago. Well, it was at the first New York Comic Con, so I guess it was, it was 10 years ago, with Brian, Dan DiDio, and Dave Roman, where we talked about the future of the pamphlet. I wish I had that recording. Um, but I don't. But, you know, Brian and everyone else jumps in and points out that the periodical is a great way to serialize the content, to amortize the costs of making it. Um, you know, I just had... I hate to keep... Um, you know, plugging the beat, but but we've been running a lot of interesting stuff for mm-hmm. the summer. People have a lot of time to work on it. Anyway, Todd Allen, a frequent contributor, just wrote a piece where he talks about the economics of indie comics. You know, if you po- sell about 5,000 copies, you're going to break even. If you sell more than that, you're making a significant profit. So, you know, it's still a very uh, sound way to fund your graphic novels by serializing it first. But I wonder if tomorrow's comics readers are going to be interested in this format. Well, I mean, I think I think serialized people will be, but digital may be the new floppy. Um, because people people like their hit of of the next new installment of Thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, that can build up anticipation and things can become fonder in your memory from last month. Whereas if you read it all at a go, you're like, ah, that wasn't right, worth it. Right. Um, but, you know, it may just all be digital because a lot of people, you know, who don't get to their comic stores or whatever, sure. or for, who have gotten out of the comic store habit, will, if they fall in love with a book, will pick up the digital. But, you know, and the price, the costs are so much lower. Mm-hmm. You don't, you're not risking printing all those comics and nobody buying them. Right, right. That... I mean, as we see with the whole digital first model, um, that I think I think fewer things will come to paper. Yes. I'm not saying nothing will come no, to paper. No, I but, think fewer but, things but will come to paper. But you know something, Kate? We are still yet to see a digital hit in comics. You know, the closest to it has been Injustice Gods Among Us, uh, which is the uh, it's a DC comic that's based on a video game, and that was a huge hit on uh, for, on Amazon. And uh, for the weekly DC Comics. Now, I have heard on the street uh, that DC is doing a lot of these weekly digital comics. I hear they don't really make any money. But then they put them out in periodical format and they collect them. So, you know, when you have three revenue streams for each piece of material, you're hopefully going right. to make, make some money, especially given the, the talent. I'm sorry, yeah. Well, what I was going to say is, one, I think nobody's going to risk or bother to put their big stuff out in digital only. Right. It, because they know they can sell it in print. And I think the model will eventually, you know, it's like use a digital instead of a floppy Mm -hmm. and then print it in a collection. Right, right. Well, yeah. I mean, I I, I guess what I'm just thinking of here is, um, you know, again, the readers of the future and what, I mean, will there be readers in the future? Maybe they'll just go around texting, Kate. I don't know. Um, Um, (laughs) Well... Given the number of people who are, you know, under 18 on Tumblr and like fervently posting, you know, caps from Homestuck or whatever webcomic they love this week or indeed an actual 
comic comic. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think the love of the visual medium of storytelling is going anywhere. No. Oh, absolutely not. No, but, no, no, no. There's absolutely no question in my mind. And anytime people say comics are dying, I laugh in their face and yeah, because no. it's, it's insane. They will find a new venue and they will find a new outlet. I am just wondering how, you know, uh, you know, my history, uh, you know, I'm so old that I read all those Harvey comics long ago and I would, you know, that's the only place you could get comics. The only comics you could get was periodical comics sold at your supermarket. And in fact, on my vacation last week, I was up in Maine and I went to Mr. Paperback, now vanished. It was just an empty hole in the mall where Mr. Paperback had been this a store where many's the time I had run in on vacation hoping to find a periodical. Now, was it just that my attention span was so long then because there was nothing else that these flimsy periodical pamphlets were so entertaining to me um you know was the comics better were the content better i mean i certainly did find them a satisfying storytelling medium you know maybe it's just brian bendis and his deconstructed storytelling that that that's destroyed this format um but but at the same time i did prefer the digests there were digests for disney there was digest for gold key there was digest for pretty much everything that was not Marvel or DC, and I loved those. I collected them. Uh, you know, if I found one of those, I brought them on vacation with me. Um, they were just my favorite thing on earth, pretty much. Um, so, you know, I remained a pamphlet reader as a teen and into my early 20s, but then I really dropped the habit. Now, we had a period 20 years ago where you literally had to argue that kids would read comics. I mean, I oh, heard, I, I know it's just, I, I, I'm sitting here. It's like, you know, talking I mean, about the stone age or something I, I, like I, people needing to be convinced I, that children I, will read comics. I know it's like, you know, thinking that a bolt of lightning will spontaneously generate life. Um, I mean, it, you know, I mean, we're talking about a belief that's almost as illogical as that. And yet, you know, this is something I fought against my whole life. Uh, or at least my whole editing career. So now we have a time when there's comics for kids everywhere. It's growing so fast. I mean, publishers are jumping on it as a bandwagon. As they should. As well they should. And like I said, I see kids, I talk to kids, and they love comics too. I mean, I've never really... uh, I mean, I don't run into too many children in my life, I have to be honest. You know, I am a, a uh, New Yorker who goes from my office to my uh, my home and back again. Doesn't have too much interaction with the with the kiddlings. But the ones that I do know do seem very comics friendly. So I'm just wondering when is the long roundabout way of getting to these kids holding their Raina Telgemeier collections or their bone collections. Now, when they get to be a little bit older and they're allowed into the comic shop, by themselves with their own discretionary income, I wonder if they'll still become uh, attracted to the floppies. I don't know. I do know that, like, I was, I had limited interaction with floppies as a kid. Like, I mean, they mm-hmm. they were there. Right, but right, I right. Okay, so you're a them. good test case. I'm I'm a relatively good test case. Um, and because, and I indeed started with trades. Mm-hmm. Like that was my first interaction with Vertigo. My first in- at- interaction with DC was trades. Um, because frankly, it, you know, you have to like convince your parent to make an extra trip to go to the comic book store if that's going to happen at all, even as a teenager. And, you know, when I got sufficiently addicted to something or when there was something I loved that was not collected, then 
you know, it was time to put it on the list and see how many weeks it took to get my mother to take me to the comic book store. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, and use what little discretionary income I had to, you know, pick up a floppy. Was this in Pennsylvania? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a comic book store at the, not the good mall, but the cheap mall next to the good mall. And, you know, maybe once a month, month and a half, I could, you know, talk my mother into stopping there for five minutes. Just five minutes, mom, please. <laughs> birds of prey. I have to have it. <laughs> right, I have right. to have Okay. It. All right. Yes. Um, that was your entry drug was birds of prey. There were, no, there were other comics I was, okay. My introduction to regular adult floppy comics in my life that I did not own was uh, a girl who was a wannabe comic artist who actually is an artist now who would get the um, the manga magazines and then also would buy super, super 90s style um, Top Cow. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh-huh. even though that was like the farthest you can get from what I actually naturally like, I'm just, I guess, so wired for comics. I was like, yes, loan me your 90s-tastic right. Top Cow and your your manga magazine. I love so you, that Sarah Pizzini. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but then, you know, then I found bookstore, found the good stuff, then bought my own things, which is to say... Birds of Prey has a special place in my heart, mm-hmm. oh, as, yes. as does the, the, the late 90s Gambit comic by Fabian Niza. Mm-hmm. Has not been topped with the character. Anyway, so, but, you know, I mean, I it took a while for my floppy habit to build up. Like, it wasn't until there was a comic shop in the path of my normal travels. Mm-hmm. When I went to college and on my way to and from college, I would pass a comic store, Midtown Comics. Mm-hmm. Then it would be easy to just duck right. in right. and then be confronted with. But be, but if it hadn't been that convenient, mm-hmm. I would still be reading trades. I'd still be super into comics. But I don't know how many right. floppies I'd have. Right, right. Well, of course, Midtown Comics probably the single biggest ca- uh, account that Diamond has. We hear, uh, and it's a huge store. It's great. It's probably you know, I mean, easily if it's not on your top ten comic book shops of the world list, well, you know, where are you going? But I mean, it's it's yeah, you had access to everything because it great was shop because it was literally right in my path. Well, now I wonder, you know, we certainly, uh, you know, and I personally have given a lot of. Um, you know, a lot of shades been thrown down to Dio's way mm. for the way he ran DC Comics over the last 10 years as what I call the crisis era because he really mm-hmm. did do this one year later. Then it was five years later. And then it was so hard to aftermath. Keep I mean, and then it was super villains. And then it was like, you know, it, but, but at the same time, you know what? I think it all started with 52, which was the first weekly comic of the modern era that was this, um, you know, sustained narrative by it Grant Morrison. It petered out right about the end when yes. they lost track of what the hell they were doing. Right, right, but- right. But it lasted a long time, and it was very exciting. I mean, I have to say, I, again, it's very difficult for me to read things that aren't, I'm not highly motivated to read. And um, you were motivated enough to read it. Uh, well, I read the first few issues, and I could see why people liked it, but it was not for me at the same time. But a lot of people did love it. I mean, I'm not gainsaying. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm not certain. You're talking about your own taste. I'm talking about my own taste, but I certainly don't deny that the, the excitement of the 52 
the, yeah. when it was coming out. And I think that's something that DC tried to replicate uh, a long time. And, you know, I think what you're talking about is that you got hooked, you know, let's say, well, I mean, Birds of Prey. I mean, do you think it was the characters that got you hooked? It was, was the, it was story the characters or? and stories. Like it was, if I feel like if the character, if I hadn't like latched onto them as interesting personalities, mm-hmm. And I found out about them through the internet. I found out about them from other girls on the right. internet who were like, this comic's awesome. You should read it. This is what the characters are mm-hmm. like. Right. And then I'd go in. And not only were the characters interesting, but they were in interesting stories as well. And had it been missing either of those elements, right. I would have fallen away. Who was away. the writer at the time? That was actually in the Chuck Dixon era. Ah, uh, okay. All right. You That's know, right. and... and Underrated Chuck Dixon. You know, for all the things that have occasionally been controversial about the guy, he can write a comic. He can. And, you know, it's always Stanley. It was Stanley who said, it's always somebody's first comic. And, um, you know, again, and I'm... And even from the perspective of now, having read... Thousands and thousands and thousands of comics, they still stand up. Right. And, you know, it's not for me to say that, you know, what a crappy comic that was for you, Kate. I mean, it wasn't. It was great. It was the right comic for you at that time to get you hooked on and this And not format. just me, but many people. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, for me, it was the X-Men, obviously, you know, going back a couple of generations. Well, um, and, I mean, I'll never forget how awesome those comics were. It's just I, I, that they were talking about they were selling the splash page from the Death of Phoenix issue by John Byrne. Well, I forget what it went for. It was like six figures. But I mean, just seeing that splash page brings back so many memories well, to you me. know, I, even as I was getting into comics as a teenager, mm-hmm. it was like the, the last golden era of X-Men as the heart of Marvel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, you know, everybody on my little mailing lists online talking about comics, like it was X-Men, 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 X-Men and like, 10% over here being like, we like DC. Mm-hmm, right, right. And everyone else was like, X-Men or X-something mutant related. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Avengers was off in a corner being, I'm sorry, I've read those comics, a bit of a basket case at the moment. Right. Um, and, you know, yeah, that were a lot of, pe- those were a lot of people's first comics for a long time. Like, X-Men had a really good run at, at Marvel. And, but, you know, the thing that killed them off, and I was trying to get interested in it, mm-hmm. but, I was watching the people around me on those lists fall away from X-Men and stop reading, even though they loved the characters, because they kept changing things around too quick. There right. was like, there was no time to like settle into a status quo before you change yes, again. Yes. It was like change, change, yes. change. Like there was, there was the no change, time. not the illusion of change. You know, that was what made me stop reading the X-Men as well. In fact, I wrote a big long story for the comics journal back in the day because it was very popular back in the eighties as well to take these characters that you loved. And, you know, days of future past is probably the most famous mm-hmm. storyline that, that suddenly, you know, on the splash page, you, you see, the X-Men on the run and half of them are dead and Wolverine and Kitty Pryde, you know, are alone trying to save them. like, what? And, you know, it's very exciting and, and, you know, very well done story, no question. But then when you see that every issue, it becomes very tiring. Yeah, you need... You can't hammer on that same note over and over and over again without it becoming annoying. Yeah, and I think... I think that's the event fatigue that we hear about yes, so much. It, right it now. is. So that it's it's not the events are not the problem. Mm-hmm. Events are good. We love right. events. But it's when it's back to back to back to back to back, people lose track of what's going on and who's who and what's going on. And it, you know what? Maybe the event fatigue is really the the reader's event fatigue. You know, I mean, I certainly understand that you need to have a new readership cycling in and out at all times. And you know, I've always said you need to have different lines for the different 
uh, readers. But, you know, I think that is definitely what we're seeing. I, I think you want to keep the readers you've got, too. You, you want to keep them, the readers you've got, but there will always be attrition. Oh, yeah. You know? There's always going to be attrition. But you don't want to scare, to, you want to give them time to settle in and get right. addicted. Right. And, and have some vague idea of what the hell's going on before you drop the next bombshell on them. Right. Because if you, it it just stops being shocking and interesting and starts being like, I don't even know who's alive now. Right. <laughs> I can. So true. If I so had true. a penny for every time I've heard someone say pretty much that. Right. Like, I at least have two bucks. Wait, it is. And you know, I, I every once in a while I'll pick up a comic and uh, at Marvel DC and I'll be like, you know, somebody's dead. And I'm like, what? How did they die? And then I'm like, well, I missed the dramatic death. So. You know I what? I, I don't care. So I'm just, I'm not going to, I'm going to go. This isn't mine. And you know, that's fine. That's for me. I, I go and read my Chris McKay mini comics and my, uh, yeah, but you know, my, my, um, but I'm someone who, who actually genuinely still has a connection to superhero right. comics and reads a bunch of them every month. Right. And they're like, every once in a while, I'll do like a mental taking stock of like, so did I catch up on insert title here? Mm-hmm. And, Sometimes the answer is, oh, I got totally caught up in this thing, but I'm going to buy the trades. But often the answer is, oh, yeah, like, isn't he, like, not that character? Isn't he, like, not that superhero anymore? And isn't somebody else that? And isn't somebody dead? And I don't have time for this. You know, And I, then I've moved on to something you else. You know, I feel like there's a lot of different models for this kind of storytelling. And, um, you know... Like with television, we the best television has moved away from the let's go visit these people every week and see what they're doing. You know, like like while I was on vacation with my parents, there was a lot of watching the rural channel, which mm-hmm. was all in the family and the Magnum PI. So we you know rocketed back to 1980, and you know some of those shows are still pretty good, but Magnum PI was so slow. Anyway, that's a whole another podcast. Yeah, but 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 anyway, the point is like you would go every week just to see what Tom Selleck at was John Hellerman were doing. You know. And it really, the stories had to be a certain level, but you just like these characters. You just like these performers. Yeah. And, you know, I think that the comic where we read it every month just to see what these wacky characters are doing is pretty much a thing of the past. Well, I mean, I think that's fine. But I think, like, a good model for what I think works and what is very similar to what happens in the comics that I think work is, um, to give you an example, person of interest. Oh, sure. I was where, literally thinking of that. Because... There are definite huge changes in the story and this and that, but like they give like about half a season right. to explore all the ramifications of right. these changes. And like, you know, if you missed an episode, you're now, you're like, oh, oh, now they're living in like an abandoned subway station. Right, okay, right, cool. Right, right. Like it gives you enough time for them to actually play with the new and exciting toys they've created. Right. And then they change it before it gets old. But. They let it, they keep it around long enough that you're not like, wait, but I was still on this thing. Right, like, right, right. It's, no. It's pacing your giant everything no, changes. A person of, yeah, person of interest is a perfect example, actually, of a show that has that kind of feeling of, of you know, let's go every week and see what they're doing. And, uh, with the modern storytelling sensibility. And, and, uh, you know, but mostly you just want to see what, what Jim Cavaziel and Michael Emerson are well, doing. But, but- no, it's, but there's also these these huge story arcs mm-hmm. that are very science fictional and that had been going on yes. through the entire series. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, you know, everything does change and things do shake up. And you're like, oh, my God, like, is, is like, the sketchy machine going to start, like, doing actual bad things to people? Mm. Or, you know, is it going to, like, 
team up with the good machine and turn against the people. Or like, what? What? What yeah. thing next? Yeah, I Will know. the CIA show it's up? A- but, you know, like, and I think, I think that's a good metaphor for the it way is. a lot of comics it work. It is. Where, you know, you, you attach to that comic. The reason why you are loyal to that comic mm-hmm. instead of reading some other comic is that the characters are just well drawn enough, even if they, maybe they're archetypical, that you know who they are and you're interested in seeing more of them. And also, you know, the story is exciting and you can't wait to see what happens next. Um, and so, you know, with, with like Ms. Marvel or, you know, with, um, speaking image, like with, with, um, Velvet or, uh, well, definitely with Wicked and the Divine, like, you know, these are huge, right, sweeping things happening sometimes, but it never completely torpedoes why you're reading the right. book. Right. Yeah. Sex Criminal is another example of that. Yeah. Right. So. That, you know, you can do that. You can right. definitely shake things up and put events in and bring people in. Right. But I feel like there's a latency period that's kind right. of necessary. Right. And, you know, maybe it's good to like shake everything up with the Fantastic Four and keep Spider-Man the same. And then shake up Spider-Man and then, you know, like pause so that right. you've got a large enough universe. You can always have something new happening while you give the other stories time to like, shake out and be explored right, right but and often comics will do that but every once in a while they'll just hit a rut of event 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 and you can burn off a lot of audience goodwill right. that way right you know we um we definitely i i i you know i monitor this very closely i definitely feel we are entering a period right now where there's going to be i mean as marvel and dc are having a big change mm-hmm. this fall you know image comics has also had some changes although not uh, behind the scenes uh, not publicly, but I've heard from quite a few image creators that a letter went out a few weeks ago where they are changing the way they do things. And I'm amazed this hasn't, uh, you know. What, what way well, are they changing Well, you know, I, I, details are a little bit sketchy, but uh, basically you have to have three issues in the can before you solicit a comic. And you also need to have, like, when your trade comes out, you need to take a break. So, you know, it's called the saga model. Like right now, it's about six issues of saga come out. And then the, like, let's say the first issue comes out in January, the, you know, next issue comes out in June. Then in July, the collection comes out. And then you don't put out an issue that month. You wait a couple months, you know, up to six weeks. I know Fiona Staples needs some time to catch up. And uh, then you do another six issues. So then you would have the next issue, say, in August. And then the sixth issue would be in February. So you only have 10 issues come out a year. And uh, 11 or 10. And, um... So what this means is, uh, you know, Image has been expanding very rapidly and putting mm-hmm. out a ton of comics, and some of them are shipping late. And that uh, is always, shipping late means re- reduced revenue. And uh, retailers hate it. So, um, you know, some of these books were like, you know, even some of the biggest names. And I think Image was going around scarfing up all the top creators as well they could, and then these creators came on tomorrow and said, oh, I got this great book that's about a mystery, except it's also a horror story and it's also a science fiction story. So it's a sort of about, you know, it's sort of like a person of interest meets, meets Gotham, true detective. meets True Detective, meets Betty Crocker. And, you know, so all these books came out and some of them didn't show up on time. And you know what? That is a problem. So what this means is... um I'm not sure. I'm, I'm going to investigate this before the next time we do our podcast. But I, but definitely means like these people who were 
these people uh, who were saying, oh, i got to get my image comic and then I'll just, you know, they'll put out the first issue and I'll make a million bucks. Uh, you know, sales are slumping a little bit and if you have to have three issues in the can, that means you need another source of income besides these image comics. So it's definitely a uh, going to be some changes in image. But all for the good. This is not a bad thing. Let me really stress that. This is just them kind of saying, let's get real people. Well, I mean, with three in the I, three in the can makes perfect sense. Yes, absolutely. Um, and really, it doesn't mean you need another job all the way through. It means you need another job before your comic starts coming right. out, right? Which has ever and always been the case. It's just you've got an extra two months of life. You have to have a day job. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, but for artists, but, it's very difficult. Well, yeah, you know? I know yeah. it is. It's, it's very hard to have hard. a day job and draw a monthly yeah, comic. In fact, it, you know, so it may take a while to, yeah. to get those that three in the can but i can see why they need it but i'm wondering why they're making a mandatory trade break i think that is just because it is a built-in uh break and it's also for their publishing schedule i think it just gives their publishing schedule but i think you know what frankly kate i think image is putting out too many comics and i think that there was a glut and, and other other people have been kind of it's kind of just a way of cutting down on the glut and um, you know, they have had a lot of, uh, manpower changes and, um, recently, and you know what, it just, you know, you, you tinker, you tinker with the formula, you know, image has been here for more than 20 years. They're very successful. They're, uh, absolutely very strong market share. They're consistently 10%. That's a really great number for them. Um, and you know what, you got to tinker with the formula from time to yeah, time. Yeah, I so. think part of their strength is they are willing to experiment absolutely and absolutely. maybe making everyone take a break around trades makes it less embarrassing for the creators who need a longer break well there you go and you know what that is what it comes down to image from the beginning had a problem with lateness and whenever you see image having a problem uh, or a setback it's always because creators are not producing on time now um, I'm hearing some of the late C's are maybe some of the top creators as well. So, um, you know, that could be embarrassing too. So anyway, but there's more to come. There's definitely more to come on that. So you could always follow the model of a lot of comics where, you know, you come out with one trade's worth and then you take a break and you come out, I mean, a longer break. I mean, not like the a, true like, detective method, the true detective method, <laughs> season one, season one, break, yeah. season two. Yeah. But not break. for a year. Okay. Cause yeah. you can't make a living on that. No, so. but I mean, a lot of these top creators have other books coming out too. Right. So, well, again, as a writer, you might, as an artist, you probably don't have another book coming out. So, yeah. Well, yeah, there's that, but We'll see. I know. We'll we'll see. There's definitely more to come. Well, you know what? We're going to wrap up this shortened vacation edition of More to Come. Uh, but um, it's, Kate, it's been a lot of fun talking about formats and reading and love of comics with you for a little while. And I'm, I'm sure we could actually talk more about this in the future. You know what we haven't even talked about? Manga. Well, I mean, actually, I think we can quick fit in here at the end that I think manga has a lot to do with why you only see uh, kids running around with trades. Well, you, because I think mommy and daddy bought manga. Right. Yeah. You know what? Well, let's save that for our next one. That is a whole other topic of how manga impacted the readership. That is a, that could easily be a podcast all by itself. The generational impact of manga. I mean, it, it totally yeah. could be someone's dissertation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, all right. Well, we'll, we'll come back to that next time. Stay tuned for that. And in the, uh, Calvin will be back uh, next time. So in the meantime, there will be more to come.